Welcome to New Money. I'm Brian Hurst this evening once again revisiting the healthcare industry. The rising costs of healthcare is a very real issue with government focused on introducing national health insurance in the years ahead. It is becoming increasingly more crucial for all stakeholders to work together and although the funding of NHI remains uncertain, the proposed way of partially funding this way was to remove the medical tax credit you receive to subsidise your medical scheme contribution and then as well as any amounts paid by you and not the medical aid. In the budget these tax credits were slightly increased but certainly not in line with inflation and joining me this evening to deal with some of these issues is Clayton Samsudin, he's Managed Director of Genesis EB Solutions. Clayton, good to have you back on the show. Good evening, Brian. Clayton, we've had VAT increases, we didn't get any tax, any bracket creep in terms of tax, in terms of tax credits, although we didn't lose the tax credits, particularly those for over 65. Mm. People are struggling to, to actually fund a whole lot of costs, and one of them always is medical aid. Mm. We're now two months into the year, renewals are done, we spoke about it last year. Just bring us up to date what's been happening with members. Well, so I think firstly is that uh, there's this kind of scenario that people are buying down. We don't find that in our book. So in our book of business, we've actually had a 60% buy up uh, and around 18,7% members changing options. Now, that's very interesting that although we're talking about the cost pressure, I think the, those that's covered by private uh, healthcare in South Africa uh, kind of still are prepared to pay to have the benefits that they need. Uh, but that doesn't help, of course. I mean, we, we saw Council of Medical Schemes recommending that the increases for 2018 should be 6%. Uh, on the other hand, they're advocating CPI plus 3%. So if we look at last year, it would have meant 59 uh, plus three is about 8.9%. And when we did a study about the top 13 schemes, that was about it. The average was 8.93% with uh, two schemes above 10% uh, double digits. But you're absolutely right, that doesn't help. The consumer is um, kind of paying, not kind of, paying more for less benefits. So if we're increasing the contribution by CPI plus three on average, but you're increasing benefits, by only CPI, there's a 3% gap. Um, and that is the problem. So, uh, you know, in the analysis that we do, we kind of see that the contributions to risk um, uh, uh, part of the, the health care is increasing over time, um, but the claims ratio are remaining the same, um, stagnant. So members are afraid to claim under the risk benefits because of all the penalties and deductibles and sublimits that's been put in place to, to change behavior. Um, yes, you're right. So we had about a 2.3% increase in the medical schemes fees tax credits. Um, that balance um, that we didn't get, um, that went to fund uh, NHI. So that was a 4.2 billion injection into NHI. Um, so what does that mean? Well, firstly, we should be grateful um, that it wasn't removed in totality, but I think the future is clear. It's uh, the removal of the tax credit over time. No, it's going to happen. It's going so to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Clayton, so let's talk, about, let's talk about something positive, which I think is positive. Mm. We have a situation where, if you look at where, you're where the medical aid spend is, a lot of it does go to, to drug use. And, and the medicines. Mm. We've had now an improvement in the rant. Yeah. Is it likely for that to be passed on to the, uh, the consumer? I don't think so. I think it's, uh, it's, it's still too volatile. I think it's, uh, there's, there's not substantive evidence to suggest we'll see an immediate improvement. 
Um, but I think you touched on a very important point there. You know, I think we can argue, uh, there's so many arguments regarding the rising cost of healthcare, but the bottom line is we don't have uh, mandate recover. We don't have auto-enrollment in South Africa. So you kind of have those that need healthcare that join, um, and those that's too afraid that something may happen that would join. And then there's those that just don't join at all. We actually need everybody to contribute to, to healthcare. So once we have kind of achieved that, we would sit with a massive risk pool. Um, and that would eliminate this rising cost of healthcare as far as I'm concerned. And I think that that is what uh, the Department of Health is, is attempting to achieve with NHI and private healthcare. That, that partnership is going to be sort of the positive um, for South Africans in the end. Uh, we need to have everybody contribute um, to some form of healthcare. So let me ask you a question. Someone's on a medical aid, they've been on a medical aid 40 or 50 mm. years. They want to move from scheme A to scheme B. Mm -hmm. How complicated is this? Because you've got this three-month waiting or, and you've got exclusions. I mean, you've been a member for many, many years and you want to make a move. Can you make a move? Yes, you can. So, um, so I think firstly it depends on your employment status, where you are employed. Sometimes the preferred medical scheme is chosen by the employer. And so if you're a principal member, you can't really migrate from one to the other. But let's just hypothetically say we're talking about an individual that's been on a scheme for 40 years. Um, and if that individual wants to move from one scheme to the other, there's a three-month risk period. So there's a three-month general waiting period. However, in that time, you can still claim for prescribed minimum benefits. At this stage, we have 27 conditions and 270-odd treatment pairs. So there is cover for emergencies, but that's the risk that the, the member... So is it, and what about, what about the 12-month exclusion? Not in that case. So a movement is just the three-month. You can't stay belong to two medical aids no, at the same time no, you and can't. wait for that three months. Yeah. However, if you have been on a medical aid for less than 24 months um, and there's a less than 90-day break, then there'll be a 12-month uh, exclusion on, on your existing condition. Well, we're going to take a break. I'm just going to give my number out 483 We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing healthcare. My guest is Clayton Samsudin. And if you'd like to call us, 011-483-1518. You can still email me on brianh at bhco.co.za. Um, I've had a lot of questions asked, you know, in terms of that moving. So you say, if you've been on a scheme for longer than 24 months, mm -hmm. is it, you can then move. With less than 90-day breaks. Yeah. And so you've got an existing scheme because t there's, there's a lot of concerns today with the smaller schemes mm. that they're not attracting members. Yeah. They're getting older. You made the comment that a lot of the younger people are not joining. Mm. So that the scheme is aging mm -hmm. and it's, it becomes very difficult and people would rather be in a more, in a more solid and secure medical aid. Mm. So in other words, what if you're on chronics? in medical aid A and you got a medical B. Okay, so there we've got a, it's a very challenging situation because the clinical and treatment protocols between schemes alter, they change. So as an example, one scheme, if you're borderline cholesterol, they will 
uh, approve the chronic meds and you would get your cholesterol medication. Another scheme would say, wait a minute, you're borderline, you need to change your lifestyle habits. So it's important, the very first thing is to establish how would your chronics be covered on the new scheme. How we do it as, as consultants is we obtain uh, the script, a copy of the script uh, that the member currently has. We then check with the scheme that the member would like to go to that we recommend how would it be covered and then we make a final recommendation. But in the example you quoted, the chronics would be covered. Uh, the important thing is, is that there's a three-month general waiting period in which you can't claim. However, you would have cover for PMBs. Um, it, it's an important scenario, but again, as we always say on the show, you need to consult with yeah. the broker. And the because the PMBs are quite difficult to understand. I mean, yeah. I know you talk about uh, 270 or something, mm. but still very difficult. Let me just take the first caller this evening. Mia, good evening. Go ahead with the question. Brian, my son has just started working. Does he join a comprehensive or a hospital medical plan? A plan? Thanks, Mia. Mm. So Interesting. Yeah, for, for a younger person, you spoke about more and more people required. Mm. You want to see more and more people ju join the medical aid pool. Yeah. So yeah, Mia is saying her son's a youngster, obviously, mm. started working, has been obviously offered different plans right. through the employer. Okay, so uh, without um, positioning any specific medical scheme, but there are medical schemes out there that have plans specifically designed for that particular age group. So what they do is provide an unlimited hospital benefit plus some day-to-day -day at really a reasonable rate. Then there are those that have just a plain hospital plan, but again, it depends on the health status of the particular young individual. So let's assume he's a healthy individual. He's a healthy individual. So let me, exp uh, let me give you this example. We kind of have uh, executives that are on top comprehensive plans. And uh, what would happen is that um, the child becomes an adult dependent at 21. Um, what happens in that case is that because the, the young adult does not have the disease of the older person, they don't require the same level of cover. And for that reason, we kind of recommend a lower level of cover, like a hospital plan with some day-to-day. -day. Um, and that is how you would attract the younger people to, uh, to medical schemes. And once you're in that hospital plan, you're in the pool. Yep. So you're not going to find if one day, 10, 20 years later, you want to upgrade your medical aid, you're going to have to pay all these penalties like they impose Good on end. people who've never been a member of a medical aid at, at the age 35 or 40. Good Absolutely. What Good. age is that? 35. 35. So they start increasing, giving you this penalty, mm -hmm. and it's, 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 it's for lifetime. Good end. Yeah. So again, back to the scenario is that uh, you've got to remember that although the individual may be young, and have chosen a hospital plan. There are some medical schemes that allow you to upgrade during the year if you are suffering from a life-threatening situation, dreaded disease like cancer. Um, then there are those that, and you know that the, the period to upgrade is between October and November each year with entry date 1 January the following year. So although you'd started off on a plan, um, on a hospital plan, you can still upgrade. So uh, we've seen that in examples of young people age 31 um, that, you know, they unfortunately get diagnosed with cancer, they're on a hospital plan, they can upgrade to a comprehensive plan the next year and have the full kind of benefit. Upgrade the next year? Correct. Can't yeah. upgrade during the year? Some schemes allow Kay. it and others don't. And taking downgrading during the year? Uh, that again depends. So we've got all these network options, which uh, is another way of paying less for the same level of benefit, just you have to go to some network options. So. 
That was an easy answer two years ago, no longer, because there's only certain downgrades that are allowed, and that's because of the, the network hospital providers. So it's again, it's a matter of checking. But in most instances, yes, downgrades are allowed. Avril Woodbank says, is it likely that there's going to be more consolidation between medical aids, and what impact does it have on members? Very good question, because uh, towards the end of last year, Council uh, released a study on medical schemes, and not only the consolidation of medical schemes, but consolidations of options within a medical scheme. Uh, the idea behind that was that those particular options would be a lot more financially viable according to their study, meaning a lesser increase for members on certain options. So that was really an interesting study that they released. So what we're going to see is forced consolidation of options within a scheme and schemes having to consolidate. Um, the paper was very clear that smaller medical schemes are unable to negotiate better prices for members and therefore unable to, to produce lower uh, contribution so increases. So you actually think we're going to see more consolidation? No, of course we're going yeah. to. Charmaine and Margaret says, are the medical savings accounts protected if a medical scheme is liquidated? And are the assets of the medical savings account for the scheme or for the member? Okay, so in last year we had that constitutional court judgment and uh, the credit that the member has is uh, belongs to the medical scheme. Uh, well, it should be accounted for in the annual financial statements of the medical scheme. So that's got two direct impacts. One is uh, in the event of liquidation, it's no longer, uh, the member's no longer entitled to that money, uh, so it's lost. And secondly is that um, depending on now how you want to calculate it, uh, some schemes may cleverly use that to increase uh, the solvency percentage in the calculation. Um, the trouble we have with that is that uh, members that had accumulated massive amounts of money in the medical savings accounts and depending on where which scheme it is uh, that money is lo no longer safe there you know i mean the interest you're earning there is pathetic pathetic in comparison to having investing it's elsewhere um, but we know why they do that they're abusing the subsidy that the employer offers then charmaine in santa says how do you suggest i negotiate with my doctor who charges way above what the medical aid refunds i don't want to look for another specialist but i'm finding it very difficult to pay the extra over and above what medical aid people are very nervous and reluctant mm. to negotiate with their doctor as well as their lawyer by the way they don't mind negotiating with their accountants mm. and their financial advisor but it, when it comes to a doctor people are nervous to actually say to the doctor look I w you know, do you have to charge me that? Can we? How do you suggest, Charmaine? So the first thing is we've got a supply and demand problem. You know, you try and get a, an appointment with a dermatologist, you're going to wait three months. So that's our problem. So as long as that exists, it's going to be very difficult to negotiate the price. Um, the other scenario, again, is to, again, there are some medical schemes that are far advanced in terms of um, having designated service providers and it's best to kind of go to those schemes websites to see which doctors charge the medical scheme rate so that there are no gaps in cover but look we've had this question a number of times and i can assure you um well the, the specialist that i have been going to it's a matter of just you know upfront saying you know can we negotiate? Yeah, I'm not a, a medical aid, I'm a pensioner. I mean, you talk about getting an appointment. I'm trying to make, make an appointment for my wife today with a doctor. I got an appointment for her on the 26th of June. Mm. 
although they did say there was a cancellation, they would call me, <laughs> and, and strangely enough, they did call me this afternoon okay, to say, okay. but just as you, as you talk about supply mm. and demand, well, we're going to take a break. You can still call us on 011-483-1518 this evening. Our subject is healthcare. Stay tuned. Welcome back this evening. We're talking healthcare. If you've just joined the program, my guest is Clayton Samsonin. Email from Miriam in Heidelberg. She says, as gap cover is short-term product, can a company cancel this cover at the renewal date? No. So is that new? Is there newly? I mean, previously it was treated as a short-term policy, yeah. renewable each year. Could it? Right. So from the 1st of April, uh, we have the, f the final demarcation regulations, and so things like gap cover coming first of April, no, past, past first 2017. Um, so gap cover, the correct term now is medical expenses shortfall policy. Long name, but same thing. So what has happened now is that that's a legal product. But it's only medical expense short gap cover in hospital, or correct, is it out of correct, hospital? No, in hospital. In hospital. However. There are some benefits that are made available for out-of-hospital, like co-pays for MRI, CT scans, um, certain deductibles are covered. Uh, if you have used um, a network hospital and it wasn't an emergency, then there's a benefit that's payable, a casualty ward fee. It depends on how the gap cover product is structured. We did a study about 76 different options, believe it, that's what they are. Um, and yes, so it's a legal product. Um, the, it falls with the, under the Council for Medical Schemes. It's got the same underwriting criteria. Uh, everybody has to be accepted. Um, the maximum exclusion, as an example, for any pre-existing condition is 12 months whereas previously it was excluded for the, your whole life. So gap cover is becoming an, an important component, element of your healthcare cover. You can't actually be without it. It's a no-brainer. You know, at 140 rand a month and for a family, depending on where you go, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd be covering the difference between what the scheme reimburses and what is charged by private But always, sometimes cheapest is not best. I mean, you've got to understand, you make the comment, Correct. you looked at 76, so you've got to understand, again, what you're buying and mm. what, what the benefits are. Because, yeah. you know, one scheme is 140. I think my, my, the one that I pay is 369 Rand. There's got to be a different in, difference in benefit. Absolutely correct, yeah. Um, but then again, most of your top medical schemes, they have... Uh, alongside the medis medical scheme now a gap cover product so it would be interest in the interest of the member to look within the scheme what are they offering although it's a short term and it's not part of the scheme but what does happen is that it just facilitates the entire claims process meaning you don't have to complete another claim um, for the gap so so that would be interesting to know um, and they were quite against it weren't they they were some yeah. years ago. I mean, I mean, they, they really didn't encourage. I think of, I think of Discovery, who yeah. really was against it, and then Discovery now have their own medical short term, as you say, Correct, short yeah. uh, for an expense. Yeah, cover. but you, you have to find another way because um, the health market inquiry they found that that healthcare expenses are increasing by nine point two four percent. 
So if CPI, as we just said, was 5.9, there's a massive gap. It's going to continue. That expense will continue like that. You need to find another way to cover that, that mm -hmm. gap. Because that CPI gap. figures that came out last week showed the year-on-year 4.4. Mm. So, I mean, Alison in Benadi says, how much should a loyalty program influence my decision to join a medical aid scheme? Well, so you, again, there are um, a, a diverse range of products. Some of them kind of just don't work and there's some of them that are particularly your prominent topic schemes there's scientific evidence that members that uh, belong to those programs and are engaged very important are actually engaged in the program are healthier and if they if they are hospitalized they are um, discharged sooner um, you know when again in our analysis when we find uh, as an example, 40% of the employee base is transient, meaning between ill health and healthy. They actually are the highest claimers. They, those that are not doing anything about their health are claiming the most. So if you're joining a loyalty rewards program use that's, it. that's encouraging you to, yeah. to gym and use yeah. it because it's to your benefit. It's not about movies and books. It's, no, about, it's, it's about wellness. It's about Absolutely encouraging correct. wellness, as you say. The benefits are enormous. Amanda in East London says, with an increase in cancers, are medical aids covering the treatment in full? I would hate to find out that at the time of claim, there's a shortfall. Okay. Now so there are there some schemes. Uh, uh, are there any schemes that cover all the treatment, wha whatever that treatment may be? Yes, there are. There are schemes that have an unlimited benefit for cancer. Then there are those that have an unlimited ben uh, amount to a certain degree, and then you have a copay. Now. Here's where gap cover comes in, because certain gap cover products covers that 20% copay and covers biological drugs not covered by the scheme. So we're all concerned about cancer. So again, you should have a gap cover policy that makes provision for cancer. Desiree in 4 says, a family member was recently injured in a motor vehicle accident and was admitted to hospital. Discovery was fantastic and are now coming back to me saying that I have to institute a claim to the RAF. I have a few questions. Do I have to do this? Who pays the costs? Who gets the money in the event of being successful? Right, so um, that's within the scheme rules, is in the Medical Schemes Act, so it's not actually discovery. Um, it's uh, all schemes do the same thing. However, um, I know that Discovery does have a department that assists members to claim from their own accident fund. And so when the money is reimbursed to the member, the member should refund uh, the medical scheme for what they've paid. And of course, the balance would be for themselves. But it's a and scheme who, rule. And who, who actually funds the claim? Who uh, copies all the documentation as to pay? Do you have to go to a lawyer? What do you have to do? No, no, no. So certain schemes, again, depending on size, depending on efficiencies and so forth, they have a department to assist members. Discovery is one of them that do have attorneys that would help you to submit that claim. Uh, Stuart in Ramberg says, how big an impact on premium increases can you put down to fraudulent claim and how is the industry tackling this? That's a massive problem. Massive, massive problem, uh, particularly if you start to combine products. But um, again, we have our large administrators, MedScheme, Momentum, MMI, Discovery, that's investing significantly in fraud. And, and there is, they're saving huge amounts of money, billions of rands, by eradicating fraud. Because um, that's important, because if you're not, I mean, if you're having all these schemes uh, and, and you don't uncover the fraud in them, yeah. I mean, it's ultimately the members are going to pay with increased premiums. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, if you look at the claiming patterns, it's kind of like strange. You'd find in geographical areas that, you know, things like cesarean births are more prominent than elsewhere. It's like, why? You know?
Well, in the annual Alexander Forbes health diagnosis, it was recorded that 65% of schemes failed to achieve an operating surplus and were forced to draw on their investment returns. With the continuing consolidation of medical schemes in the industry, as well as rising costs, the sustainability of medical schemes and the assessment thereof have become increasingly important for all stakeholders. I've noticed a trend being advertised for cheaper healthcare cover. Anyone thinking of changing from a branded traditional company should investigate very carefully before making such a move. The real benefits of medical schemes are that they are there to help you see through all the most critical care issues once you have them. Clayton, I'd like to thank you for joining me this evening. It's important to note that our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program, we'll be focusing once again on estate planning. And if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.